We are with Ryan McMahon. Ryan McMahon is both the second baseman and third baseman for the Rockies this season, and he's having an excellent season both at the plate and in the field. He was named the SIS Defensive Player of the Month for May, and he's among the major league leaders in defensive runs saved and our good fielding plays stat. Uh, Ryan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right. So first of all, we always ask players when we have them on to recall for us the first time that they made a really good defensive play as a kid. I don't know. Uh, I, I played on a very competitive Little League team. Uh, my dad was the coach. Uh, the rumor is that we were turning double plays in Little League. So uh, we had a pretty good squad, man. My dad my dad worked hard to, to teach us baseball the right way. So, you know, probably, probably something along those lines. Was it? Would it have been a double play? Yeah. In Little League, that's impressive. That's impressive, right? <laughs> All right. So then, then let's, let's look at it from this angle. What were some of the things that you learned about playing defense as a kid that you were able to carry over uh, all the way uh, up to your career? Man, honestly, I, I had some really good coaches. My dad being one of them, uh, Craig Graybeck, who was a, a longtime big leaguer. Just kind of learning the fundamentals, man, and, and taking a lot of reps. They were big on defense. So uh, it's, it's been something that's been preached to me my whole life. Okay. I watched a compilation of some of your best plays this season in terms of value, not necessarily in terms of like what they look like, the aesthetic. Yeah. And you've got bare hands, you've got backhands, you've got slow hit, you've got hard hit. We've got your running balls down in foul territory. We've got you coming in. We've got you going back. We've got you doing all sorts of things. Which ones have you worked on the most? As far as third base goes, definitely the charging plays. Uh, those are some of my favorite, running in, bare handing, uh, throwing on the run, stuff like that. Uh, second base, man, just kind of those rangy ones, right? Like taking the right angle, different things like that. Two completely different positions, but man, it's, it's been fun to, uh, to practice both. All right. So what's the difference in approach when you're playing each? Uh, third base, I'm just kind of trying to react, be ready. Um, second base, I definitely lean with the pitch a little bit more, uh, try to read some swings, you know, kind of see, see what I think is going to happen and uh, try to be leaning one way or the other. What does reading a swing entail? You know, you just kind of see, you know, like kind of how their swings coming off, different things like that, and then peek in, see what the pitcher's going to throw them. And, you know, if your pitcher hits a spot, how's the ball going to kind of come off? What What do you think? So, you know, I, I think it's just kind of something you just get used to after seeing a bunch of different swings, seeing how guys are attacking different pitchers. You can kind of kind of get a feel for for where the ball is going to come off the bat. Is there a hitter that's particularly tricky to do that for? Yeah, so really good hitters are definitely hard to read, right? Because they typically hit the ball all over the field. Typically, guys that you can lean on are guys who are, you know, heavy pull or, or heavy oppo guys. Okay. Uh, at third base, you mentioned uh, quick reactions. Uh, how do you go about working on that? Honestly, man, I think the only way to work on it is just have somebody smash balls at you, right? I mean, that's the only way you're going to get game-like reps. So, uh, you know, we have Vinny Castilla out here who can, who can put some sauce on the ball, so we'll get out there during spring training and stuff like that and just let Vinny or we have another guy, Warren Schaefer, who just wax balls at us. So, uh, you know, I think that's, that's good practice. Did you suffer any significant nicks or bruises from balls playing you know, third base as you've been practicing it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You catch, you catch, catch some off the shin, catch them off the hands. It's uh it's not fun, but it doesn't hurt too bad. All right. So which, which approach to making a play, you mentioned the, the working, which you've worked on the most, which approach is your favorite? As far as like third base or second base? Yeah, either one. To, to, in terms of making a play, what's your favorite kind of play to make? Uh, I love hand up the middle at second base. Uh, some, something about just running completely away from the bag, and you kind of feel, kind of feel cool when you turn and just spin and chuck it over to first. So I, I like playing up the middle, man. Who were your favorite uh, defensive players come, as you were growing up? Uh, honestly, man, I, I didn't watch too much on defense. Um, obviously my generation, Derek Jeter is a, a favorite player for a lot of guys. Uh, Sean Green was my personal favorite. 
But defensively, man, I mean, I grew up, I grew up in Southern California, so I got to watch uh, David Eckstein and and stuff like that. So you know, solid guys, solid guys on the field. All right, I want to take Sean Green for a second because that's an interesting, an interesting guy to take. That was a guy who I often felt the guy did hit four in a game, but I felt like he was a player who was better than his numbers indicated. And I'm curious why you gravitated to him. Honestly, I, I like this swing. Uh, we got a lot of Dodger games where I grew up. So uh, and I think I think when I first kind of started becoming like really interested in baseball was when he was hitting 30, 40 a year for uh, for the Dodgers. So and he's kind of the opposite, at least size wise to Eckstein. And I'm curious what you what appealed to you about him. Uh, just man, just watching the Angels and stuff like that. You know, I mean, he was the, the hard nosed player, played hard. Um, you know, I think my dad kind of kind of pushed me in that direction. My dad always wanted me to be, you know, a, a super hard player and stuff like that. So. Uh, you know, he's always like, hey, you watch that guy, you know, make sure you try to do what he does. Okay. In terms of specific plays this season, I've marked down a few. You're personally responsible for holding down Francisco Lindor's batting average a little bit. You got a couple of nice uh, plays against him. Uh, you seem to specialize in catchers, too. You have a ridiculous catch against Tucker Barnhart, another one against JT Romuto. Do you have a favorite play from this year? Favorite one from this year? I don't know if I have a specific favorite one, man. I, honestly, I've just had a good time being out there with the boys, playing good defense. I think as a team, we're playing really good defense. So, you know, I, I think you kind of build off each other with that stuff, right? One of your buddies makes a good play. You're like, all right, man, like, let's do this thing. I'll make a good play too. So it's just been fun, man. It's been a fun year. Let, let's take one of the plays. Maybe it's one of the ones that I mentioned, whether it's the Barnhart catch or the Real Muto catch or the Lindor plays that, that you've made. Can you get, kind of walk us through it in terms of everything that goes into it from pre-pitch all the way through to making the play? Yeah, I'll, I'll walk you through the Lindor because that that's a fresh one in my mind. Um, so we we're in New York. Uh, we had shifted him a little bit. And uh, kind of in the back of my head, I was like, hey, he might try to drop a bunt down, so don't give him too much space. Um, I kind of gave him enough space where I knew, hey, I'm going to have to make a good play if unless he makes a perfect bunt. So he went, dropped it down. I got lucky. He barreled it up a little bit, so it got to me a little bit quicker. Yeah, just I, I think from the get-go, I knew I was going to have to barehand it because he can run and uh, made the play. Now, you're talking bare hands. We should note that as of the time of this taping, you lead the majors in successful bare hand plays. It's something that we track here at uh, SIS that you might not know. So we had Tommy Edmond on earlier this year, and he talked about what he learned from watching Nolan. And it was a little bit of behind the scenes into what makes Nolan really good. So I'm curious what you learned from watching Nolan, uh, and I'll compare it to what he said. Yeah. So, I mean, as, as far as watching Nolan goes, man, I mean, he's, he's one of the best and he's one of the hardest workers day in, day out. He's taking his ground balls. He's uber focused, you know, but I, I think the thing that I learned from him was just kind of understanding how much time you have. He's really good at getting that guy on that last step. He always knows how much time he has. He, he doesn't rush plays unless he has to. So uh, just kind of seeing him play with that and, you know, seeing how he attacks different balls, you know, he sets himself up really well if he's going to go bare hand or go glove. So uh, he's, he's one of the elite defenders. That's for sure. You haven't, you haven't mentioned Trevor story yet. We haven't mentioned him yet. Uh, we had him on two years ago, talking defense in the same kind of way. And um, he talked about a, a number of different things that he does. He talks about his pre-pitch prep among other things. What have you learned from watching him? Man, he's a pro. He, I mean, he's really similar to Nolan shows up every day, puts in his really good work, you know, and, and I just think, like you said, that that pre-pitch preparation is, uh, is huge. I think he does it better than uh, than anybody else that I know of. Like, what does he do? Peeks in at the pitch. He'll he'll adjust like where he's standing. He'll read swings, different things like that. You know, things things that a lot of good defenders do. We're sometimes told that the Rockies don't use analytics as much as other teams. That's kind of the public perception of it. How does data impact how you play? 
Um, I, I think it's big. Um, you know, we, we do use them for defense. We have, you know, kind of the percentage charts and stuff like that. And we'll go off that, but we're also not afraid to use our eyes. And I think, I think that's a big thing that's kind of lost in this day and age, you know, hitters go through different stretches, right. Where they're hitting the ball at the middle, pulling the ball, different things like that. So, you know, I, I think using your eyes and knowing what your pitcher has and how he's going to try to attack them is huge and, and setting yourself up for success because yeah, those numbers are good and it's probably going to end up like that. But you know, if, if you can save an extra hit, by using your eyes, that's that's also a big thing. Is there a play that you can discuss that kind of puts that into perspective, like a play where where data and your eyes both combine to allow you to make that play? I don't know if there's a specific one that I can think of right now, but you know, I can give you an example, right? So say we're playing May Machado up the middle, got a guy who throws a really good slider and a good heater. Uh, you know, you could say like a John Gray, right? So you know he's going to kind of look to see that try to see the pitch a little bit better. So it might be a little bit later on the heater. So maybe you shade over a little bit more into the hole or something like that instead of strong pulling them. How self-aware are you of what you need to work on defensively? I like to think I'm self-aware about that sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not afraid to take uh, constructive criticism, that's for sure. But I also think that, you know, I, I kind of have a style and I, I kind of know what I do. And, you know, I, I want to stay within, within that and not, you know, branch out too much. You got you to gotta stick to what you're good at, that's for sure. What's your style? Loose, leading with pitches. Um, you know, I'm not afraid to be wrong. I'm not afraid to to guess wrong on on somebody and, and get beat the other way. I think I think that's also what makes me good. And and you know, I'm not the fastest guy. Um, so I think getting good jumps and and getting good reads is is important to me. Can you tell us about your gloves? We like to give players the opportunity to plug the glove that they use. Both, the, I guess, the one that you would use at second and the one that you would use at third. So I use the same glove. I like how that glove feels. It's it's my baby. I've had it since uh, since high. A. So what is that? One, two, three. So it's probably like seven years old. It's it's really beat up, but uh, I love it. And it's a big glove. I like a bigger glove, even at second base. You know, I, I feel like I've gotten used to it and, and comfortable with the transfer. So, uh, yeah, I, I use the same glove everywhere. Wow. Okay. When you were a kid, did were you one of those kids? Because I, I remember I had a glove that was like three times the size of my hand, and it basically got me through all the way you know, through from kindergarten to like junior high. Were you one of those kids that had a glove and just kept it forever? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, my, my grandfather, uh, on my dad's side, got me a glove when I was like just born or something like that. It was a nice glove. I used that all the way through little league after little league. I think I got a new glove and I used that all the way to like my sophomore year of high school. And then I stole one of my buddy's gloves that I like junior year of high school through until I got my glove in high. So I, I, I used my gloves for a long time. All right. What's the key to a good, a good glove? I think it's just personal preference, man. If you feel comfortable with where that pocket is and you can transfer that ball in and out, um, you know, I, I think it's all about comfort. I don't think there's one right way for anybody. I, I think it's just whatever you like. All right. I have one hitting question for you um, before we, and we'll come back to defense. But before we do that, I have one hitting question. In spring training, you talked about getting your chase rate down, that that was a goal for you this season uh, yeah. for that to happen. I noticed that at least by the numbers, it's about the same, it's, it's roughly the same. But I did notice that your results on breaking pitches are a lot better than they were last season. I'm curious if chase and avoiding the really bad chases on breaking pitches uh, played a role in how you've gotten better against them. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, as far as chase goes, we don't want to chase. But, you know, I, I don't think you can go up there not trying to chase. I think you need to be aggressive. Uh, I think if you're trying to not miss the ball, you're going to miss pitches in the zone that you need to hit. So, uh, you know, I think the biggest goal for me was shortening up my swing and not missing those pitches that that I get to hit. So. Uh, I'm, I'm an aggressive hitter for sure. Um, you know, hopefully as I, as I see those, those uh, sliders more and more, uh, I start to lay off them, but 
yeah, it's, it's, it's more about shortening up your swing and, and not missing the ones that uh, you need to hit for me. What, what advice would you give to someone that's just starting to face breaking balls, trying to get used to hitting them? Try to see them as long as you can, you know, and, and that's where the short swing comes in. Um, you know, you gain more information, obviously, the more the longer you see the ball. So uh, you're going to be able to lay off those nasty ones and uh, hit those break the hanging ones. You mentioned Craig Graybeck before in terms of uh, significant influences on you. What was a, a way that he particularly influenced you? I think just kind of teach me the game, man. I mean, it was a travel ball. We were like 12, 13, 14. He was I mean, he was teaching us to pick or peek in at first base. You know, when you're running the bases, different things like that, bump plays like we were we were running crashes and different things like that. So I think just just getting kind of like a big, big league level coach, um, you know, when you're 12, 13, 14 uh, can, can really help some kids out. So the secret to becoming a big leaguer is to get the glove when you're born, which you yeah. mentioned that your grandfather did. Yeah. And then to get the the coaching that gives you kind of those advanced little things, kind of tips that 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 give you the little edge that you can take into high school and, and then beyond. Yep. Anything to get an edge, man. <laughs> All right. Oh, um, how does Coors play into how you play defense? I, I don't really notice anything different. We do have a bigger infield here. That's for sure. Kind of just a bigger field in general. Um, I like to play deep, but I play deep everywhere. So I don't, I don't know if there's anything specific uh, different that I do uh, at Coors. Okay. And our last question, if you go on Twitter, uh, we can find in instances in which your wife has messed with you uh, a couple of times, whether it be with magic tricks where Simon says, or illusions or things of that sort. I'm curious if there's a defensive play that you've seen that most resembles a magic trick. I don't know if I can think one right off the top of my head, but what, that, what, Javi Baez, that Javi Baez base running one, that was, that was pretty magical, man. I, I don't know how he got out of that. I don't know how he ended up at second base. Um, that's just kind of one of those ones you shake your head when you when you watch it. Well, that's spotlighting bad defense. So let's spotlight yeah. the defense here. Uh, who's the who's the baseball player other than Javi Baez? You call him, we call him you know El Mago, the magician. Who is the the defensive uh, player who would uh, most resemble a magician? Probably Nolan, man. I mean, he does he does some stuff, man. He pulls some plays out of it, out of nowhere, and uh, you know I think he's really good. Who else? Trevor Story can do some really impressive things. Obviously, I see that up close and personal. What were the best ones that you saw from each of them? Trevor's plays up the middle. I feel like he consistently go, makes these plays up the middle where he spins and the ball's already out of his hand before he's done turning. And then Nolan, dude, he does some crazy things on some backhands when he's running away from first base. The, the throws he makes, it's, it's, it's incredible. All right, Ryan McMahon, uh, Defensive Player of the Month for May. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right, so we thank Ryan McMahon, who was awesome. We're glad to get a chance to talk to the Defensive Player of the Month and the Defensive Run Saved Leader heading into the, the day that we're taping. I mentioned in the interview that we would take what McMahon said about watching Nolan Arenado and reference it against what Tommy Edmonds said about Nolan Arenado, and pretty similar. A slight uh, difference in that Tommy Edmonds talked about throws from all over the place, which eventually Ryan got to. Tommy talked about throws from all over the place by Arenado and how he had incorporated that into his practice routine in terms of trying to improve himself defensively, working on throws from all different angles across the field. So that, uh, that ties up that bow. And we welcome in Justin Stein, producer, editor for the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast for all our podcasts here. Hey, Justin, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. All right. So what we were going to do just to close out the show, 
was we're going to do a little bit of analysis. We're going to take a look at the defensive run saved leaderboard and just talk about some players who have been impactful or lacking impact in the first uh, couple of months of the season. And I mentioned that Ryan McMahon, number one, tied for number one overall with Adam Duvall at the time that we taped this 10 defensive runs saved this year, nearly an even split, six at second base, four at third base, number of players uh, right behind him. And we will get to those as we go here. All right, so we're going to start with teams. And the reason I wanted to do that was because I wanted to make a big point. The Tampa Bay Rays, who seem to do it every year, they seem to maximize the sum of their parts. They've done that again on the defensive side this season. They are the runaway leader in defensive runs saved right now with 48. The next closest team, just to give you a sense of that, are the Mets, surprise team, and the Padres with 32 defensive runs saved. Then the Astros, Rockies, Nationals, they round out the top five. The Mets are a surprise, a huge surprise, after struggling ad nauseum. The Nationals were last in the majors last year in defensive run saves, so they're a huge surprise. The Rockies are a surprise because they lost Arenado. They still have Trevor Story, and as you'll hear, they got a couple other good players too. The Padres have been very good, but Tampa Bay always seems to find its way to the top. Teams at the bottom, the Angels, the Tigers, the A's, and the Phillies, those are uh, all teams that are problematic defensively this season. Those are your top teams. Uh, Justin, what was your biggest takeaway from looking at the team's list? Yeah, starting uh, uh, in that top group, you know, raised no surprise, obviously. I, when I saw the Mets at number two, I had to double take. And you, I'm sure you can speak to what they're doing this year probably more than I can as, as a Mets fan. But man, 25th last season with a negative 16 DRS as a team. And they were negative three on shifts. And this year, 32 total and 14 in shifts. So it looks like shifting is probably the big reason for that. Yeah, there have been articles written recently in both The Athletic and The New York Post about the improvements that the Mets have made in their defensive positioning. It also helps when you have a captain of the infield that is as slick and as solid as Francisco Lindor is. And though his offense has not been there, his defense has been pretty solid for the most part. The Mets also benefiting a little bit from the absence of their worst defensive player, J.D. Davis, who's been out for a while. They've had other solutions at third base. Jonathan VR has filled in nicely there. The Nationals, the other surprise, as I mentioned, top six, uh, they were top two earlier this season. Uh, things have gone very well for them. I remember I was a little nervous after they got Josh Bell in a trade, thinking that it was just going to be more of the same uh, for Washington. But Robles, Turner, uh, they have a, a number of good pieces there. And Washington's defense has has been there. Just the, the rest of the team for them has not. All right, we'll move to players now. So let's start with catcher. Uh, at the top of the leaderboard for defensive runs saved, it's Jacob Stallings of the Pirates. No surprise to us. I do think that some people are going to say, well, this is some new blood, but not really. No surprise to us. Uh, Justin, who is impactful to you? Who's been impactful to you at catcher so far or not impactful? Yeah, I think two guys kind of jumped out to me when I looked at the list. Uh, the first was Roberto Perez, who's kind of, he's our kind of DRS guy at catcher. He had six last year, which was third most. Uh, he's currently at zero for 2021. So when I pulled up the list, expected to see him and Stallings and guys like that at the top. When I had to scroll down to find where Roberto was, I was a little shocked. Definitely not surprised by Stallings being at the top. And then the guys right behind him, uh, Christian Vasquez and Austin Hedges, are kind of more usual suspects at the top. So um, that that list is, you know, outside of Roberto Perez, is uh, pretty much expected. 
Yeah, there are some high reputation players there. We talked to Perez previously. He was a fun interview. He's still uh, very strong, I'm sure, on the uh, no robot ump bandwagon. Moving over to first base. So this is another trend within this. We mentioned McMahon, two positions where he's excelled. Max Muncy is uh, living off of a similar formula. He leads first baseman, uh, Dodger first baseman, leads first baseman with five defensive runs saved this season. He has nine total, and he's a guy that can play all over the field. I like to use him at second base. Uh, he's been very impressive so far. Your thoughts on first base and any players of note there? The thing that surprises me about Muncy isn't, uh, certainly isn't the versatility or that he's a good defender, but he had a minus two DRS last year at first base specifically. So the fact that he leads the group this year with five was a little surprising. Uh, the other thing that surprised me about the disposition is Miguel Sano currently has one DRS. He's kind of uh, certainly not known for his defense. He had uh, minus five last year. So it looks like he's uh, added a little bit to his game on that front. First base can be fickle. Uh, we've been surprised this year that Matt Olson not up near the top, but the A's as a whole have not been up to snuff. Second base, shifting over, we mentioned Ryan McMahon with the six defensive runs saved. There's like a bazillion guys that have five. Uh, I know we, we talked, we've talked two and about Tommy Edmond, a uh, number of other players that uh, you want to focus on. I'm guessing you want to focus on Tommy Edmond here. We both like him a lot. Yeah, definite friend of the show, Tommy Edmond. And watched a lot of Cardinal games this year. Watched uh, a lot of his defense. And uh, when I saw he was at three DRS, I actually expected that number to be higher. He's been... Really, really good from a, an eye test standpoint. No, not the, the 3DRS is certainly uh, not, not bad by any means, but I, I kind of thought he would be a little bit higher in that group. Justin Stein works in our operations department, which means he helps manage the video scouts that do all the baseball tracking for us. They track every play of every game, every pitch of every game. Uh, so he's certainly seen a lot of baseball. One funny note about Edmund and his three, Max Muncy has more defensive runs at second base than Tommy Edmond does. How about that? Definitely wouldn't have expected that, for sure. <laughs> All right, let's slide over to third base. Now, third base is, is interesting. Again, new blood here. Number one's not Chapman. Number one's not Arenado. Number one right now is Colorado Rockies third baseman, Josh Fuentes, who leads with seven defensive runs saved. What's amazing about that is last year, he played like 200 innings at first base. That's like 25, 30 games. And he led all first basemen in defensive run saved last season. So he switches over back to his natural position. Josh Fuentes at the hot corner. He's someone for whom the minor league defensive run saved numbers were strong. There was some kind of, I guess you would say, foreshadowing for him uh, coming, into, coming into his major league career. And he's living it up to it this year. Uh, your thoughts on the other third baseman? Fuentes was very interesting at the top of that list, first of all. Um, and I think not so much because we didn't think he was a good defender, but it's it's funny that he replaces Arenado at third for the Rockies. And certainly there hasn't there's been no drop-off defensively at all, despite what people might have thought heading into the season. This is actually a really interesting position, third base overall. Right behind Fuentes, guys like uh, Eric Gonzalez and Matt Chapman. Um, so kind of guys that you would expect to be there. I think Chapman's really pushed a little bit lately in looking at this list in the past. He's starting to get back up to where we expect him to. But I think the biggest surprise from a positive standpoint for me is as Drupal Cabrera with five DRS 
is next on the list. He had zero in 2020, and he's certainly not a guy you think of when you think of defensive infielders. Yeah, so I believe that the stat on Estrubal Cabrera is that he hasn't had a positive defensive run save number at a position in like a bazillion years. And we're talking like 2008, like the earliest parts of his career. He has never been viewed as a positive value defensive player. But I think I know why. And I picked up on it when I watched the Diamondbacks play the Giants. And when I watched more so when I watched the Diamondbacks play the Mets, he's very sure handed. Like if he gets to the ball, he you're, he, you're he's going to make an out. He's going to make the play. He'll complete the play. Uh, the The issue that he has and has had in years past is that he doesn't, he's not nimble. He doesn't necessarily get to balls. So as a result, his DRS is low. Now in the age of, you know, amazing positioning, Cabrera is put in spots where he can make plays and all he has to do is get to the ball. And if he gets to the ball, He's going to be fine, and he accumulates by getting to the ball. Uh, that's how he's at five, which I was scratching my head about that one as well. Also, a shout-out to Santiago uh, Espinal, who has been very good for the Blue Jays at third base. All right, shortstop. J.P. Crawford, gold glove winner in the AL list. You're not a Fielding Bible Award winner uh, yet, though. Uh, eight defensive runs saved to lead the way. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa made the conversion from third base to shortstop for the Rangers. He's next with six. Your observations on shortstop, and I think you're going to go with a cardinal twist here, right? Yeah, definitely cardinal twist here. Um, first of all, you know, Crawford and Kiner-Falefa, those uh, may not be the most household names across the league, but I don't think anybody here at SIS is super surprised that those guys are, are near the top of the DRS list. But I think Edmundo Sosa for the Cardinals has kind of taken over a lion's share of the shortstop job for the Cardinals while uh, Paul DeYoung's been out. Um, but he's currently at five DRS, which was a little surprised. But also when you add in the innings played by DeYoung and, and Tommy Edmund, it's short. St. Louis shortstops have combined for eight DRS total. So um I thought that was interesting that they're getting a lot of good play out of, you know, one of the most important positions on the field. And again, for people who are familiar with DRS, be no surprise that the Cardinals are, you know, solid at that position and kind of solid overall after leading, uh, leading the league last year in that, in that category. One of the things that uh, has happened this year in the move from third base to shortstop is that uh, Eugenio Suarez has played what you probably thought he would play. He struggled at short after struggling. I wouldn't say necessarily struggling too bad at third base, uh, but his numbers at shortstop have not been great. There's a learning curve. Anytime you do that, Kiner Falefa has handled it. Eugenio Suarez, uh, not quite, but Kiner Falefa is just a great athlete. Left field. So this was kind of cool. When I, when I was talking to some folks on the Tampa Bay Rays broadcast crew, we are trying to figure out why the Rays are so much uh, so strong defensively this year. And Randy Arozarena, of all people, leads left fielders with nine defensive runs saved. And what I've noticed about him is that, like, he can make the difficult catch. And there have been a number of those difficult-looking catches this season where he has finished the play and made a really nice play this year, which has allowed him to rack up some defensive runs saved. Austin Hayes of the Orioles is second. He had a home run robbery, which boosted his number a little bit. I watched him. He's kind of a combination glove arm guy. Left field's tricky because you typically don't put your best guys in left field. That's kind of the, the slot where you, you stick in the, you know, the third best of your guys. 
but he's looked pretty good. He's played center before too. Uh, so I think he's got a good rep. I'm going to ask that you not go the Cardinals route, even though we, we, we're going to neglect to mention Fielding Bible Award winner Tyler O'Neill, who has two defensive runs saved. I'm going to ask you to go another route for left field. First, when I looked at this list initially and saw Rosarena and Hayes at the top, I was a little surprised. Rosarena, after the run he had last year offensively in the postseason, defense wasn't, that's not the first thing that I thought of when I heard his name, but, um, you know, nine runs saved already is, uh, that's, that's quite a number. And uh, I actually uh, was, I scouted the uh, Rays game last night and he threw Josh Bell out from left field on an absolute cannon. So uh, after I had done the research on this yesterday and saw that last night, I was like, oh yeah, okay. That, I guess that makes sense. All right. So between Rosarena, Fuentes, McMahon, so as I said, some new blood out there. Center field, top of the list right now. He's been top of the list for most of the season. Michael Taylor of the Kansas City Royals. We talked to him earlier this year, leading the way with seven defensive runs saved. Even with an injury, Byron Buxton second, which is amazing how he always finds his way up near the top of the list when even when in years where he doesn't necessarily get a lot of playing time. Harrison Bader, five defensive runs saved. No Kiermaier on this list, uh, which surprised me a little bit. A number of players here, center field's like the sexy position. Everyone gets pretty excited over it. Buxton, Kiermaier, Jackie Bradley Jr., but Michael Taylor leading the way. Uh, what do you got here? Yeah, this was another really fascinating position when I looked at it. So like you said, some of the usual suspects at the top of the list and some usual suspects missing from the top of the list. I thought that, you know, like you said, Taylor's been at the top all year. Um, Buxton and Bader both uh, had some injury issues, so they're under 200 innings. Um, while Taylor's over 400. You know, Kiermaier not being on that list was interesting. I think something that really jumped out at me is Odubel Herrera from the Phillies is currently at six DRS, which has him tied for second. And he is certainly not a guy who's been known for his defense. He didn't play in 2020, but he was had minus six DRS in 2018, minus three in 2019. So him being at six right now is, is pretty fascinating. Um, and then the other big surprise for me was Cattell Marte, currently at minus seven DRS, which is last in the league. And the last time he played significant innings at the position was in 2019, and he finished with four DRS in just under 700 innings that season. So a couple of big surprises there for me. Yeah, he's normally usually stellar in center or at second base, depending on where the Diamondbacks choose to put him. Another guy that is at the bottom is going to be who I'm going to ask you to talk about when we get to right field, which is right now. Adam Duval leading the way with eight defensive runs saved. We named him our April Defensive Player of the Month. His DRS split is almost even between his arm because he's got a lot of assists and his glove because he can get to balls. He can chase balls down the line. He can chase balls, hit to the deepest part of the ballpark. As I mentioned before, tied for the overall lead with 10 defensive runs saved. Kyle Tucker of the Astros, I have to say, I watched him a little bit. He looks the part in right field for Houston. Seven defensive runs saved right on Duval's heels. Manuel Margot has been very good this year in all three spots for Tampa Bay. Five defensive runs saved in right field. But the guy I want you to focus on is a guy who has been up and down and up and down in right field defensively uh, in the time that he's been in the major leagues, Bryce Harper. Yeah. When I was looking at this list and uh, didn't see Harper there on the top, you know, it wasn't too much of a surprise, but you know, what was really surprised surprising when I dug into it is uh, Bryce had 11 DRS in 2019. Like you said, 
you know, minus one last year, and he's at minus five currently this season. So he really has it's been kind of a roller coaster defensively for him. He's had some really bad years and some really good years. I know in the past he's done really well in some of our some of our metrics when it comes to like making the most sliding and diving catches. Yep. Um, it doesn't look like that's the case this year. So maybe um, some of that is why his numbers pulled back a little bit. But yeah, seeing him that I didn't necessarily expect him to be that low on the list, even though I know it has uh, fluctuated a lot over the last several years. I want to make one point on him in 2019. So video scouts and ops people like Justin, when they watch a game, one thing they track is what we call good fielding plays. Good fielding plays are like your web gems, your great catches, your really good throws, cutting off a ball in the gap to prevent a guy from taking an extra base. We have 30, about 30 categories of good fielding plays. In 2019, Bryce Harper had 22 good fielding plays. Those are your, as you were talking before, your slides, dives, and jumps. In order for his defensive run save total to be good, I think he has to make those plays. Because if he's not making those plays, those balls are falling in and he's taking the penalty for them. In 2020, the shortened season, he had four good fielding plays. He was on a pace for 13 or 14. So a dip of about seven or eight uh, from 2019. And this year, only three good fielding plays so far in 41 games in right field. He's had injuries. It's, It's problematic. And when you're putting that much money into a player, you need him to be good both offensively and defensively. Bryce Harper is a fantastic player. Uh, His defensive run save total this season is not up to the level that it was two years ago, uh, negative five this year in right field for Bryce Harper. So to close out, individual players, we look at pitchers, do this quick. Dallas Keuchel leads with six defensive runs saved. That's not new blood. That's very, very, very old blood. And he, I, I love watching him. I like watching Stroman. I like watching Greinke because they are like cats on the mound. He's great. Dallas Keuchel leading the way. A couple of guys at the bottom that you were caught off guard by. Like you said, at the top of the list, no big surprises there. But I looked to see who was at the bottom of the list and maybe expected some you know, some older pitchers, some guys who, uh, you know, slowed down a little bit. Uh, but the two guys at the bottom of the list were uh, Brady Singer of the Royals and Justin Dunn of the Mariners. Uh, Singer at negative four and Dunn at negative three. You know, both of those guys are young guys, decent athletes. So I was really surprised to see those guys at the bottom of the list. Not that, not that they're known as fabulous defenders or anything, but just yeah, those weren't the names I expected. Thank you, Justin. And this wraps up the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast for today. I want to thank Ryan McMahon and Justin Stein for helping us along. For Justin Stein and Ryan McMahon, thank you for listening to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.